0: The Particle Physics of You by Ali Sundermeyer, November 3rd, 2015 Not only are we made of fundamental particles, but we also produce them and are constantly bombarded by them throughout the day. 14 billion years ago, when the hot, dense speck that was our universe quickly expanded, All of the matter and antimatter that existed should have annihilated and left us nothing but energy, and yet a small amount of matter survived. We ended up with a world filled with particles, and not just any particles, particles whose masses and charges were just precise enough to allow human life. Here are a few facts about the particle physics of you that will get your electrons jumping. About 99% of your body is made up of atoms of hydrogen, carbon, nitrogen, and oxygen. You also contain much smaller amounts of other elements that are essential for life. While most of the cells in your body regenerate every 7 to 15 years, many of the particles that make up those cells have actually existed for millions of millennia. The hydrogen atoms in you were produced in the Big Bang and the carbon, nitrogen, and oxygen atoms were made in burning stars. The very heavy elements in you were made in exploding stars. The size of an atom is governed by the average location of its electrons. Nuclei are around 100,000 times smaller than the atoms they're housed in. If the nucleus were the size of a peanut, the atom would be about the size of a baseball stadium. If we lost all the dead space inside our atoms we would each be able to fit into a particle of lead dust and the entire human race would fit into the volume of a sugar cube. As you might guess, these spaced out particles make up only a tiny portion of your mass. The protons and neutrons inside of an atom's nucleus are each made up of three quarks. The mass of the quarks, which comes from their interaction with the Higgs field, accounts for just a few percent of the mass of a proton or neutron. Gluons, carriers of the strong nuclear force that holds these quarks together, are completely massless. If your mass does not come from the masses of these particles, where does it come from? Energy. Scientists believe that almost all of your body's mass comes from the kinetic energy of the quarks and the binding energy of the gluons. Your body is a small-scale mine of radioactive particles. You receive an annual 40 millirem dose of the natural radioactivity originating inside of you. That's the same amount of radiation you'd be exposed to from having four chest X-rays. Your radiation dose level can go up by one or two millirem for every eight hours you spend sleeping next to your similarly radioactive loved one. You emit radiation. Because many of the foods you eat, the beverages you drink, and even the air you breathe contain radionuclides such as potassium-40 and carbon-14. They are incorporated into your molecules and eventually decay and produce radiation in your body. When potassium-40 decays, it releases a positron, the electron's antimatter twin, so you also contain a small amount of antimatter. The average human produces more than 4,000 positrons per day, about 180 per hour. But it's not long before these positrons bump into your electrons and annihilate into radiation in the form of gamma rays. The radioactivity born inside your body is only a fraction of the radiation you naturally and harmlessly come in contact with on an everyday basis. The average American receives a radiation dose of about 620 millirem every year. The food you eat, the house you live in, and the rocks and soil you walk on all expose you to low levels of radioactivity. Just eating a Brazil nut or going to the dentist can up your radiation dose by a few millirem. Smoking cigarettes can increase it up to 16,000 millirem. Cosmic rays, high energy radiation from outer space, constantly smack into our atmosphere. There, they collide with other nuclei and produce mesons, many of which decay into particles such as muons and neutrinos. All of these shower down on the surface of the Earth and pass through you at a rate of about 10 per second. They add about 27 millirem to your yearly dose of radiation. These cosmic particles can sometimes disrupt our genetics, causing subtle mutations and may be a contributing factor in evolution. In addition to bombarding us with photons that dictate the way we see the world around us, our sun also releases an onslaught of particles called neutrinos. Neutrinos are constant visitors in your body, zipping through at a rate of nearly 100 trillion every second. Aside from the sun, neutrinos stream out from other sources, including nuclear reactions in other stars and on our own planet. Many neutrinos have been around since the first few seconds of the early universe, outdating even your own atoms. But these particles are so weakly interacting that they pass right through you, leaving no sign of their visit. You are also likely facing a constant shower of particles of dark matter. Dark matter doesn't emit, reflect or absorb light, making it quite hard to detect, yet scientists think it makes up about 80% of the matter in the universe. Looking at the density of dark matter throughout the universe, scientists calculate that hundreds of thousands of these particles might be passing through you every second, colliding with your atoms about once a minute. But dark matter doesn't interact very strongly with the matter you're made of, so they are unlikely to have any noticeable effects on your body. The next time you're wondering how particle physics applies to your life, just take a look inside yourself.
1: On thrones, philosophies of men mingled with humor. We are the core.
2: After your faith has let you down. Look for the good in everything. Look for the people who will set your soul free. It always seems impossible until it's done. Look for the good in everyone.
0: And, and I, I would imagine that this seven-step process doesn't happen just one time for a person, but could happen multiple times over and over again.
1: That's the thing. It's just like this process. That's life. And the more series of evolutions that you walk yourself through, um, you become much more distinguished and much, much better, much finer, much more refined as a material, as a being. So, you know, it's important to not look at this as a linear thing, but something that's constantly cycling, constantly feeding through your life and driving the evolution of you. See but here's here's the great thing about alchemy is that once you recognize the process you'll recognize that various aspects of you are stuck at one or more parts of this process in your entire life. So if you were to break down all the components of you and lay them out, you know, in a list, it's like some of them are stuck at dissolution, some of them are stuck at calcination, some of them are stuck at you know, fermentation or extraction, you know, some of them, uh, distillation, some of them, you know, you've got all the pieces, you just need to recombine it kind of thing. So, you know, there are thousands of different aspects of us. There's no end to the evolution that we're going to experience as an individual learning to embrace crisis as an opportunity for conscious evolution. Once you know, the process is really what's so empowering about learning and and understanding and incorporating alchemy into your life. I I love
0: that. And, and, let, let's take that then into a discussion about the astral plane. And I'll, I'll tell you what I think that it is. Okay. Um, and, you know, it, it's one of those words that for the longest time was associated with new agey Language and like astral projection of being outside of your body and things like that That anytime I would hear the word. I'm just kind of like, okay. Yeah, brother. I'm gonna listen to something else Yeah, but uh, when, when I was with our, our mutual friend cody last week and he was telling me he's he was basically explaining It's a, it's the world of imagination It's the way that you can visualize in your mind with these these thoughts that actually are real Physical things like there is a substance to our thoughts and there is an impact on our physiology because of thoughts and Yeah, you know people who are familiar with things like the secret might go. Oh mm-hmm. thoughts create reality. Yeah, okay I'm tuning out. I'm tuning off of that. That's, <laughs> yeah, that's baloney but but you have a perspective in this that I'm really interested in hearing that that the more about that the astral plane is this this place of meditation uh, or or imagination Um, so let me, let me turn it over to you and and tell me if I got that right.
1: Yeah, that's, that's pretty good. So like the, the top, if we were to, to perceive that there's a bottom and a top to any barrier or plane or dimension, however you want to refer to that, that there is uh, and maybe it's, you know, from left to right, it doesn't always have to be from, from bottom to top, but just for visualization purposes, let's say from bottom to top, if the very top, of the astral plane is actually governed over by the archetypes of the elements and the planets, that's the way that we conceive of it in alchemical cosmology is that the elements are really just combinations of binary coding. So fire is one, one, it's extremely active. Wind is still active and it's male, it's masculine in its nature, but it's the passive aspect of the active, which makes it zero, one. And then you have water, which is the active aspect of passive, which is going to be uh, one, zero. And then you have earth, which is passive, passive, zero, zero. So these are just really, the for us, uh, elements are really binary coding of the actual reality of the universe. And this is why we can say that everything actually comes down to those four elements uh, at its very basis form. It's either completely active or passive-active, active-passive, or passive-passive. And, and and is that meant to be
0: symbolic, metaphorical, or is that, li- I mean, it's not like a literal binary code. Like, And the reason I ask, I've heard people talk about like up quarks and down quarks as forming a kind of like binary code of, of existence, but that's not what you're talking about here, right?
1: Um, I think what they'll find in science is that all material really operates according to these very same principles, because in alchemy, we look at holographic and fractal things. If it can't be explained holographically and fractally, which is to say the same principles govern over the behavior of things, no matter how small or how large you look at it, um, then it doesn't make its way into alchemical practice. So like, for instance, we could consider the sulfur, mercury, and salt, or that is to say the soul, the spirit, and body of you know, your, your very physical self to actually be the tripartite union of proton, neutron and electrons. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought could, you were going to say God, and Jesus and the Holy Ghost, but, right, right. <laughs> yeah. but that would be like in, in the Christian narrative of the spiritual tradition, that's exactly what it would be. Yeah. Right. Um, just like you would have like uh, Moses and Ezekiel and and, you know, others inside of the Judaic tradition so on and so forth, you're, you're going to have a tremendous amount of tripartite material coming up mm-hmm. all over if the principle that you're tapping into has any thread to uh, perennial cosmology or perennial theory, perennial reality. <coughs> so in the, in the astral, the very top part of it, every one of the elements uh, makes its way, different combinations of the mel- elements, make their way to be known as planets. So like, for instance, Mars is going to be fire, fire, Earth in terms of its binary coding. So it has three sets of binary coding with it, fire, fire being one, 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 and then Earth being zero, zero. So that would be Mars kind of coding. And from the planets, because the planets are around the Earth, the way that they move, their shapes, their locations, everything that also alters the binary coding a little bit in the way that that binary coding is able to manifest or what sequence uh, and where it's coded and how it actually ends up making stage. Okay, so. This is where human thoughts actually interact is that human thoughts are in the center part of the astral, just below where the planets and all of those major archetypes are. And what we're doing is we're taking sequences of planetary archetypes at its basis form and then elements as well, and combining them together in such a way that we have just taken from binary coding and, you know, basic short code. Now we're created a complex programming language, say like C++ or something. And what's happening here is that we have short code where we can combine hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of these binary sequences in a form that allows us to imagine and create all of our thoughts. And so all of our thoughts, all of our emotions exist in this realm of the astral plane. And when most psychics or or people who are talking, you know, new agey kind of things that are talking about the astral plane, if they know anything about anything, then this is what they're talking about. And the astral can actually be best defined by asking a question. Have you ever thought what happens to all of your thoughts when they're done being thought? Welcome to the astral plane. So it's this huge repository in the central astral of just everything that you can imagine. Plus you can create permutations on things just by thinking about them. I, I just pictured the island of misfit toys from that Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer claymation thing. That like the right. astral, that's the, the cast-off thoughts. <laughs> yeah, all- exactly. That's that's a brilliant visualization, actually, of the astral plane. <laughs> so then from there, the lower part of the astral actually is like the etheric. So this is what the Chinese would refer to as your meridians inside of your body. This is also like uh, when people say that they can see auras around things or, you know, things... That's what's happening is that uh, the different colors, different visualizations, so on and so forth, have become actually so dense that they're starting to take form and resonate as light at deri- uh, various frequencies. And it's that light eventually which precipitates into matter uh, that we're beginning to really understand from a quantum perspective. We're starting to scratch away at the surface of that understanding. But alchemy has had for you know thousands and thousands of years now this philosophy that this is the way that things work okay hang on i gotta i gotta pause here for a second phoenix because i'm
0: getting this image and tell tell me if i'm following you here that the thoughts that we think it's almost like hair that grows out of our head or um it, it 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 is shed from our brain or our minds, and it kind of like hovers around us. And if it's really dense, sometimes people can pick it up as light, and that's what auras are. Auras are the the thoughts that have been thunk mm-hmm.
1: um, that that just kind of like hover around us. Absolutely, yeah. And they actually really? your thoughts actually entrain physical matter how to form like things from the astral plane. So some thoughts are subconscious, some are unconscious, some are completely conscious um, typically most people are only aware of their conscious thoughts, but there have been people that have been trained to be aware of their subconscious impulses as well. And sometimes that's just a natural gift in the way that their neurochemistry works. And sometimes it's something that they actually have to train for and develop, but regardless, um, everybody is capable of doing it. And it's basically being able to see how that thought field is actually changing and altering the information field, the, the, you know, information, uh, we call it IDF, uh, which is an intrinsic data field around that individual. And this goes back for people who want to learn more about this kind of stuff. You, you can read Dr. Richard Gerber's multidimensional anatomy uh, in his book called Vibrational Medicine. He has an entire section of the book broken down into multi-dimensional anatomy and how every different holistic uh, practice is actually performed and what layer of the multidimensional anatomy it works on, you know, he, he does this all from a very, very scientific angle as well. Um, and people can read like Rupert Sheldrake's morphogenetic fields and, you know, yeah. other things like this in order to understand these things. But uh, quantum science is even beginning to, sh- to show that light is both a particle as well as uh, kind of a photon or, or a vibration, Field, a yeah. wavelength. Yeah. And, What's interesting about that is that it's light that actually informs the physical body how to form. So the light is condensing to such a degree of density that it appears to be real. And it attaches itself to so much density in the physical plane, actually, that if you believe it to be real in the astral plane, then it's very, very real. And if you believe it to be very fleeting in the astral plane and can really hold on to that with your mind, Uh, you can do these miraculous mind over matter things. We see cases of miracles all the time where people were doing exactly that thing, or we see cases like uh, Satya Sai Baba, where he was able to, you know, manifest roses and the smell of roses and, you know, do all of these things that would be considered by most people complete, like, you know, magic or, you know, some some strange sorcery that able to manifest things from the astral plane into physical reality. But anybody who really holds their mind on any particular intention follows through with it with their actions is actually taking a thought that exists in the astral and precipitating it down through the astral plane and into the physical plane and that's no different than dissolution uh, where we get our crystals here we when we take our our dissolved mineral filtrate after the filtration process and we just evaporate down the liquid which is to say to get rid of the astral material out of it, then there's solid material that's left. So, you know, again, this is a corollary that we see here in the laboratory. So boy, this is so interesting to me, Phoenix.
0: So in, in the case of, I don't remember the name of the guy that was able to manifest a, a rose or the, the scent of a rose. Is that a function of somebody's belief that if, if they believe it strongly enough or they're using their own imagination that it becomes real or and I don't mean that in like the pejorative way to try and brush it away and say, Oh, that's just imaginary. It's not real. Sure. But to say that it, it is, if you believe that something like that's possible, then it could be possible. But if you don't believe that it's possible, you're never going to touch it.
1: it. It actually operates completely independently of belief. Does it? So, okay. So beliefs can actually either aggrandize or hinder the ability depending on what the belief is. So like if you actually have a core belief that this isn't possible, then chances are you're tuning out of this, this you know interview right now. Hmm. If you do believe that it's possible, you're like, see, somebody else <laughs> believes it and it just aggrandizes that belief, but it does absolutely nothing for the ability itself. The ability yeah. itself is really based in the perennial principles of how well can you visualize something inside of your mind then can you sensationalize it? Then can you project that sensationalization into your experience at the present moment? That's really what the basis of all magic is, the way that I teach uh, modern magic for uh, for all of my students and and all of those who are kind of part of my, my spiritual pathway, is that magic is very much so not something that people need to be afraid of. It's like this negative force, like anything that people will find a way to use magic for every different purpose that you can possibly imagine. But at its purest source, the way that it works, the dynamics of it are, can you visualize it? Can you sensationalize it? Can you manifest that sensationalization right now? And if you can feel anything hard enough, it becomes so, and it may not become so It's like, just like your willpower. It's just like going to the gym. You have to flex the muscle over and over. If you go to the gym and start, you know, trying to do a hundred pound bicep curls and you've never been to the gym before, you're going to hurt yourself yeah. uh, or others <laughs> or yeah. both. Yeah. But if you start, you know, 10 pound range, 15 pound range, 20 pound range and work your, your way up from wherever your capabilities exist to begin with, then you begin to have more and more and more power over it. And you know th- this isn't anything crazy. I mean, the people have been practicing magic and forms of folk magic for thousands of years. They're sure. not going to persist doing that for thousands of years just because they're diluting themselves into some crazy reality. They're actually seeing some result, otherwise they wouldn't yeah. be practicing. Right. Um, and so, you know, this is this is the basis of it and even the US government has actually utilized a lot of this very same uh, information. In fact, there's a really funny, clever movie, kind of making fun of it in a you know tongue-in-cheek kind of way, called "Men Who Stare at Goats" with George Clooney. Yeah, George Clooney yeah, and and, and
0: even McGregor. Yes, exactly. <laughs> yeah, and yeah. so,
1: you know, that's that's actually based on real series of of, uh, events that have actually happened within the U S government. I mean, they, they yeah. totally turned it into a fun story there, but, yeah. uh, you know, it, it's the very same principles. People understand that thoughts actually have some mechanism of being able to, uh, interplay with matter. And in fact, all of us probably grew up with the concept of mine over matter, whether that was your soccer coach telling you to, you know, get over it and you can, you can run that second mile, no problem, you know, or, yeah. Whatever it is.
0: Well, I I think it's only a matter of time before Google or Apple or some other technology learns how to read the thoughts in the human mind, the way that we just have organically, biologically, naturally evolved to be able to read our own thoughts.
1: Yes. Because
0: that's what we're doing every single day. We've got this mechanism that allows us to read our thoughts, it allows us to feel our feelings. And I I, I can I, I can imagine a day when there will be technology that allows you to read thoughts, allows you to, what, what were, you said three phases, stages with it, being able to visualize it, being able to sensationalize it,
1: sensation, sensationalize it and then manifest. Was that yeah, the other one? Yeah, exactly. Way? Like actually drawing that into the physical plane. You know, usually usually that manifestation step involves some sort of ritual or it involves writing or drawing, right? Putting something into a sigil takes an idea and its archetypes and it turns it into a semi-physical thing. The drawing is just a symbol, but it still exists in the physical. You've actually drawn it, right? Yeah. Uh, same thing with performing a ritual. You are actually real. You are an actual person. The incense that you're burning, the candles that you're burning, the herbs that you have, like all of those things have significance and they're part of the binary coding that you know, the, the universe is really made of. And so when you get the right combinations of those things inside of your ritual work, then that actually is a manifestation of those things because the whole concept is that you're doing behaviors and manifesting like with your physical body, what you have sensationalized and visualized in order to make it uh, a reality. How do, how does your
0: understanding of uh, this astral realm, interact with those seven stages that you talked about earlier are, are you are you using um imagination meditation visualization things like yeah. that in each of those
1: phases yeah the whole time you kind of have to in a certain regard because um or at least your, your results may be hindered if you don't let me put it like that because realistically if you can't think about what your traumas are and visualize the instances or memories of them then you're going to have a hard harder time doing that work Um, however if you can visualize instances of moments that have happened to you where your perception has been fixed on something that has lent to your belief system now you can identify the belief system easier and faster because you have a memory that takes you directly to that feeling Mm. and so what most people would refer to as like the astral sounds really ungrounded, but it's actually very grounded and people are accessing it all the freaking time. Like there, anytime that you think a thought, anytime that you remember something, anytime that you have memories or nostalgia, you are actually existing in the astral plane. So just using that terminology and developing the awareness that that's what it is makes it suddenly infinitely more accessible for most people. Yeah. Interesting. Well,
0: is is there anything more you want to say about, the the astral before we move <laughs> to something I, else.
1: I could go on for weeks about the astral. We, we sure should probably just move on. <laughs> okay. So
0: so and, and really this is kind of the last thing that I want to uh, ask you about. And we'll see where the conversation goes from there. But in one of the interviews that you did, you talked about different types of consciousness that occur at different levels of existence, like at a molecular level, a cellular level, there's there's consciousness that is all around us, and you know, like our bodies that are made out of trillions of living cells. Each one of those living cell is conscious and aware within its own sphere of, of what it is and what it's doing. Like that idea is so fascinating to me. I'd like to hear you talk more about that, and yeah. and, and maybe like what consciousness is, because I think we we typically think of consciousness in the terms that we're, we're familiar with as human consciousness, which is a result of all of the things that make us human but uh, a dog's consciousness is going to be different Uh, a snake's consciousness is going to be different you know so yeah talk talk about that a little bit please
1: yeah so i guess let's just start off what is consciousness consciousness is an awareness of one's function Hmm. so basically every again you know i use the terms holographic and fractal frequently because everything that I'm looking for in my work and largely that alchemy and the hermetic tradition works with is all based on holographic and fractal truths, meaning that it's perennial and it's universally applicable regardless of what you're looking at or how small or how large something really is. So when we talk about human consciousness, we're talking about the awareness of our purpose or the awareness of our function as human individuals. Um, But because we live in society, we also have an awareness of humans as a general thing. And, you know, humans tend to interact in the astral plane and we're able to do this really interesting thing that's developing an awareness of our awareness of our function. Mm -hmm. And that's what really differentiates human consciousness from most other forms of consciousness, because most other forms of consciousness, whether we're talking about, you know, the animal kingdom or vegetable kingdom or mineral kingdom, they have an awareness of their function and they have an awareness of where they're at, at any given point in performing a particular function or the overall function of just being alive uh, or existing. Okay. So to, to break it outside of scientific, Uh, definitions of what's alive just the fact of existence okay so everything has consciousness whether we're talking about a cell which cells are really uniquely conscious and they share this cool thing called cellular consciousness or cellular awareness where one of your toenail cells could actually do the very same thing that one of your heart cells can do and it knows exactly how to do it and if needed could entirely become a heart cell and and uh, do its job equally as well. So every cell knows what every other cell in the body is doing and they're constantly communicating uh, electronically through our body, you know, through our electrochemistry. So cellular... Which I, I, I want to push pause
0: and give you a weird idea of mine. Yeah. I, I think that's what's happening to the planet right now, actually, with the internet and humans yeah, interconnecting. Exactly right. I think we're creating this huge electronic... Brain and network of, and we're we're mimicking what's been happening at these uh, smaller microscopic levels of existence.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I, I'm on the the exact same path, right? You, on right that one, thinking that that's most likely what's happening. Um, that being said, um, every different thing has such a a different purpose of consciousness. Like for instance, you as a human individual, you are comprised of your own volition, your psyche. Okay. But that's not actually just the end of your intelligence because let's talk about the what 70 trillion, uh, different microorganisms uh, minimally that are existing inside of uh, your microbiome at this very moment. So, you know, what we're looking at here is that every single one of those actually have a big part to play. Like for instance, if, uh, the if the microbes that are responsible for making shikmic acid and, and, uh, for performing shikmic uh, acid pathway inside of your body, are company. I don't know body. what shikmic is, but I love hearing you say it. Yeah, it's it's basically a different type of uh, acid that's used as an enzyme in order to create serotonin. And so if that's compromised inside of your body, now you're actually going to feel bad. So because your consciousness as a human individual is impacted so largely by your physiological state, That if your neurotransmitters like serotonin are altered in any way, shape or form, it totally changes your perception or your perspective vastly. And so small shifts of various other forms of life inside of you, cellular intelligence, microbiological intelligence, you know, all these other things that the culmination of all of those intelligences is what the human intelligence is inside, you know, we're comprised of minerals and Water and its memory. We're comprised of our own cells. We're comprised of of amino acids and their own awareness of their function and how they move through. You know, we're. It's just actually astounding when you sit down and you think about, wow, there's so much to me. When really, what you're identifying with is you is just your soul, but the culmination of all of those other things around you that are part of your body, sometimes part of your spirit those actually inform your decisions and change the perspective from which your soul evolves and grows. Yeah. And, so, and, and, I,
0: and I just want to pause on that, that when you're saying soul, you're talking about the psyche. You're the psyche. kind of talking about like the mind, the the intellect, that egoic consciousness. You're not talking about some over soul that's in the universe. Or some
1: intangible and undefined thing that people right. hold over you to save your immortal soul. No, I'm talking right. about your, your psyche I'm talking about your interests your talents your passion yeah. you know your own awareness of your function yeah so that is uh, you know all of that goes hand in hand and so you know I don't know what what more you might want me to say or expand on about that but that's the general viewpoint that I have on all of this is that every form of consciousness leads into a much more evolved uh, state of consciousness that is less solid and less pure than the the form that came before it like for instance if we start at metals metals are only composed of single atomic structures clusters of single atoms that form the metal like gold only has gold but then as soon as it breaks down it oxidizes it becomes a mineral now we have like say gold oxide for instance that's now a mineral and it has two atoms to it it's more complex it has this has this purpose and this purpose put together in a single purpose. And then we have, you know, gold oxide breaks down inside of the soil and let's say 37 different types of microorganisms like to decompose that each one of those different microorganisms feed on gold. And so they draw their sustenance from it, but they break it down into something different, some other enzyme, coenzyme, other mineral, et cetera. And from that we get all of these different myriad variations realistically of consciousness that all originated, say, from gold or just from the atoms as we know them in the periodic table. And they become so complex. And humans are the culmination of all of that. There's not vicariously or directly one food, one atom, one material that we don't actually come into contact with, again, vicariously, either through the air that we breathe, the water that we drink, or bathe in, you know, the the rains, the everything, it's all comprised inside of our matrix here as human beings. And we're also such a pinnacle, important creature because even though we also have equally amount of potential for uh, ignorance as well, but our potential for understanding is so great that we can actually ascertain things as well as nature ascertains things. And through the volition of our soul, if it is our soul's volition, and our spiritual disciplines, and our technology, our abilities with our hands and to machine things and draw new ideas from from the astral plane and put them into existence, we can create all sorts of permutations that abide by natural processes that can aid in nature and nature's uh, evolution, even though we have a somewhat distinct place where sometimes we could also feel that we're very separate from it as well. So. Yeah. Uh, it just depends on how you use your consciousness and what you align it with that determines, you know, whether you're doing something that is perennially ethical. And 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 whether you think of
0: yourself as being separate from all of these things that are going on or that you're like deeply deeply interconnected with ev- with all of these different consciousnesses yes. that are aware of their own function and performing their own function and you know, that, that piece is just overwhelming when I stop to think about the interconnectedness of all things.
1: See, for me, that's what the experience of God realization really was for me and how I started to define what a God is or was, is that in the same way that all of the microbes, all the amino acids, all of the minerals, all of the metals, all of the everything inside of my body are working towards a cohesiveness of me as my consciousness. And I and our planet are working towards a cohesiveness of what is this planetary consciousness. And as that's part of the solar system, which is part of the universe, which is part of everything is part of something slightly bigger than it that ultimately yeah. leads to the entire whole. And the culmination of that entire telescopic viewpoint is, for me, the supreme consciousness which i would just simply call the monad and it's more of an idea than a being per se even though it does have its own consciousness of course but at some point there's really no end (laughs) to it it's it's always you know holographically and telescopically evolving and so turtles all the way down yes exactly so for (laughs) me that's how i can actually rationalize uh you know there's no being uh there's no beginning there's no end to the being that is god it is just you know Constantly eternal. So for me, that is that is an idea that I can tap into, and I can tap into that aggrandor through thousands of different ways, it, viewing absolutely anything, as long as I maintain that as the filter of, of perception that I'm lo- doing I something. I love that. From. I love that.
0: Yeah, because when when I've talked to people, you know, because I I mentioned earlier bathing with God. That this is really the idea that that. God is this, this moan. It's everything. It's, it's, it's the aggregate of all of these, these things and this energy that we're constantly bathing in, we're immersed in. We can't escape from it. We're, yeah. this, this is, is where we are. Um, and, and people that I've talked to that have struggled with it have struggled with this idea of intelligence because it's so attached to this idea of like a, a single god father figure who's directing everything you go here you do this you do that rather than all of these individual like i don't know how many numbers of these consciousnesses and intelligences that are changing and evolving and it's like these domino effects of this change then leads to this which leads to this which leads to this and we're all doing this dance
1: yeah with it. yeah um, they're, they're all the time all the time. It is mind boggling. I think it's meant to, you know, it's like one of those Zen meditations, like the sound of one hand clapping. (laughs) You, you get into it and you start to think about it and it takes you down this wormhole that is like, wow, wow, that is really, really deep. And whether perennially my understanding or my ideas of it at the moment are true or not is irrelevant because for me, that's what gives sense to and makes sense for my tradition and and what i'm doing and what you know fulfills my purpose for now you know until it doesn't in which case it's an idea not a belief system so i can change it really easily
0: yeah so here's here's where i want to end with you phoenix and again i really appreciate this time that you've taken here um in in all of the years that you've been doing this i'm sure you have seen some amazing transformations um both alchemically and then psychologically among people Uh, so could you maybe spend a few minutes talking about
1: what some of those some of the most impressive metamorphoses that you've you've seen. Um, man, in the laboratory, I think you know the first time I made a spagyric stone, and that's basically where you take an essential oil and a distilled uh, spirit. You know, quite literally, like a ninety-five percent pure ethanol uh, spirit of a plant, and also all of its purified body material, and you put them all together in a very particular way that, um, you know, every plant kind of has different measurements of it. So you, what you'll do is you'll feed the essential oil to the salts until the salts no longer take it up. And then you start feeding the spirit, that combination of essential oils and salts. And eventually it turns waxy. And if you keep incubating it, it turns hard and You know, at some point, what ends up happening is that uh, that material rocks up and it turns rock hard, and then it it's no longer susceptible to smoking over a fire or dissolving inside of water, and that's why we call it a stone. Um, It's no longer susceptible to either fire or water, just like a mineral would be. um, But it's more than just a a mineral basis, and those things are so potent and so strong. I mean, literally the tiniest little amount dissolved in ethanol or a glass of wine. And it does a trick and it alters your consciousness like crazy and you only start to see from a very certain perspective or start to feel things and perceive things from a very particular perspectives. The plant intelligence is just so strong that it, it creates a filter of perception. Um, and so, you know, plant stones were kind of my real introduction to all of this and that blew my mind. And then, you know, getting into the metallic work and I've not successfully produced any metallic stones that I feel comfortable ingesting. Um, not that they couldn't be just that I don't feel comfortable doing it, uh, without the proper testing and and never done all of that. So, but I have taken oils of the metals like, uh, up above me back on, on my right side, that'd be your left. I've got uh, oils of every single one of the seven traditional metals. So oil of iron, oil of gold, um, you know, oil of silver, oil of copper, all these things. And um, those are, (laughs) when we talk about an oil, what we're talking about is the sulfur. We're talking about the soul of the metal. And so when you extract the soul of a metal, again, I was talking about metals only being one consciousness, you know, one elemental form of consciousness, Um, when you break those down into the soul, the spirit and the body, they become really, really crazy and pure. And uh, that changes your your consciousness more than just about anything I could have imagined too. So yeah, I've seen that. And I've seen the same processes used to make a stone or the oils of the metals, you know, in myriad ways changed tons of students' lives in my life. And you know, other people's, every time that we work in the laboratory, we're actually just performing a ritual of an aspect of us. So like, for instance, you know, we were recently working, you know, our friend Cody was yeah. recently working with juniper and with nutmeg and throughout the whole process, aspects of our psyches and aspects of our beings that were corresponding to uh, you know, what nutmeg symbolizes inside of us or what juniper symbolizes inside of us those were being worked on throughout the process and And is that different for each person it it is different for each person because not every person has the same constitution to begin with and some herbs have a less like uh for instance if you go to a party and there's you know 30 people there how many of them are likely to be your very best friend it's about the same odds when you start working with plants it's like some of them gonna be real close allies that you're like wow i really love this plant and you get other people in the laboratory and you know you may really love lemon they may really hate it and they need something totally different you know they hate sour they hate all these things so the aspects um of the plants that actually correspond to us we have psychological affinities for plants that work really well with us uh because again they're holographic and fractal if you like eating coriander or if you like eating cilantro for instance you're probably going to do pretty darn well when you start working in the laboratory with those plants. If you absolutely hate them, you're one of those people who's like, oh, it just tastes like ivory soap, you know, or what. Um, You're not going to probably enjoy all of those effects, but you're going to know how to navigate your way through it to be able to, uh, in in many ways, transform or evolve or exalt a certain component of yourself that corresponds to that plant. And so, yeah, it's very highly subjective, but... um, yeah, it, it's something that's undeniable once you step into the lab and start ob- observing things from that particular perspective and utilizing those seven processes. The, these vegetable stones that you started off talking about, could, could
0: it be any, you, you said that, you, that they're so potent once they get to that stone form that yeah. they really do alter your consciousness. Could yeah. that be anything? like any plant or is it? Yeah. Yeah. You can make a
1: stone from just about any plant. There's There's like, not every plant will yield essential oils. So there are techniques of making stones without essential oil processing as well. But, um, yeah, typically the the plants that really tend to alter consciousness and make the best stones in my experience so far over these past 15 years and, you know, far from working on every plant, but so far yeah. they are the ones with the higher essential oil content because they have very complex acids that are able to create uh, micro, very micro acid-based reactions with the uh, potassium carbonate alkali and left over a period of time at 40 degrees Celsius um, you know, some, some of these things have to incubate for up to two years or up to six years, even for one of them that I've worked on in order to come to fruition and become rock hard and stuff. And the whole process is, it takes a very, very long time. So over these long periods of time and very equal distribution of heat, they undergo really strange thermal decompositions of acid-based reactions that just change the constituency on a molecular level, very, very, very vastly. And, um, so that's what I see with the essential oil method is, and the plants that have higher content of essential oils, like rosemary and lemon peel and, Mm. you know, lavender and juniper and, you know, all these others. Um, whereas you can pull essential oils from Melissa and it does make a good stone, but it takes so much plant matter in order to be able to get there that that's, it's a little bit of a difficult endeavor and a very expensive one as well. Mm. Same with rose.
0: All right. I, I, I do have one final question and I don't, there's two words I want to ask you about, and I don't know if they mean the same thing or if they apply to anything that you do at all, but they keep coming to me. The golden ratio and sacred geometry. I don't really know anything about these two things, but, but you, did you, you make pendants? That's like a sacred geometry or something.
1: Uh, I don't make them actually. Um, I just, so I work with, uh, the hardware and the software, uh, that basically performs IDF work. And so, uh, the pendant that you're referring to, I think, you know, Aubrey and Cody both have one of these. I guess what we're looking at is, um, that's called a Chio fee and it's a type of, uh, intrinsic data field broadcasting instrument that you can wear on your person. And uh, those are made in Bali by a friend and colleague of mine named Dr. Don Paris. And so um, I utilize those for, for my clients, but the, where they got the concept phi is that the phi, P-H-I, the Greek syllable there, or Greek letter, is uh, a ratio, uh, which is the square root of pi. And that's how you get to the phi ratio. And the phi ratio takes place everywhere inside of your body. So for instance, the distance between your longest finger, which again is subjective, that can be, any person can have one finger longer than the other, but your longest finger to the base of your hand, 1.618, which is the abbreviated golden mean, that, uh, this length, 1.618 times that is the length of your forearm. And 1.618 times that is the length of your entire arm, for instance. And the length of, you know, so you see this holographic and fractal pattern emerging. And the Greeks were really, really huge on this. The entire uh, uh, Parthenon was built in such a structure where you can see that really, really clearly, especially in their columns, because they have this natural taper of 1.618 constantly to the column. And when you look at it, for, you know, if you're not looking for the general taper, you can't really see that it, it's any particular thing, but when you measure it mathematically, it's this perfect 1.618 fee ratio thing. And you know, when everybody's like, for instance, the perfect male figure is that you take the shoulder width mm-hmm. and the hips should be 1.618 times less than the shoulders. So if the hips are 1.618, then, uh, above the, you know, the shoulders will be 1.618 times the, the width of the, the hips themselves. And so, you know, you, you start to see this kind of column like structure forming in nature and the things that are the most beautiful and most uh, proportionate typically, uh, utilize that structure all, all and, over the place. And is that's
0: what, that's what is referred to as the golden ratio?
1: The golden ratio, right? Okay. Um, And again, that's the square root of pi. And so if you see this and you draw 1.618 in a 2D plane, you get a spiral. You get Mm -hmm. like a, a, you know, a perfect spiral, spiral in, spiral out. Like spiral galaxies and
0: just like these patterns. Like I've I've seen pictures in nature. It just uh, occurs.
1: Like crazy everywhere. Yes. So Mm So that's the fee ratio and sacred geometry, you know, realistically sacred geometry. So we talked about the astral, uh, we'll leave all of our listeners for, uh, you know, even with a real big bang here, all right. um, <laughs> is that the, the directly above the astral plane is the causal plane and the causal plane is where zeros and ones form. And what a zero is, is an angle. And what a one is, is a segment. And so anytime that you get an angle and segment and series of those put together, now you're starting to see that there are causal formations that can be formed. And traditionally speaking from the Hellenic or the Greek perspective, there are five platonic solids, six, if you count a sphere, um, but five real platonic solids and that those really correspond to the elements themselves. And so the lower form of the causal is the beginning form of the astral, and the lower form of the astral is the beginning part of the physical. And, uh, you know, above the causal, the higher part of the causal is the lower part of the spiritual. And those are those four dimensions. That's a very Kabbalistic idea in that, uh, you know, there's four dimensions in kind of four worlds is what they would refer to them as in the study of Kabbalah. But uh, Kabbalah itself is a holographic and fractal principle, so it's been adopted since, you know the very earliest, Uh, Egyptian origins into the practices of alchemy and so we we look at this the structure of the tree of life and the structure of sacred geometries and structure of all these things because they all have a very common thread in the archetypes of how they work and what their functions are and what the awareness of their functions are we just see them happening in different dimensions either spiritual causal astral or physical or sometimes like the human individual all four of those and right here is just where I dropped the sound effect.
0: Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> exactly. All right. Wow. Well, w- once again, thank you, Phoenix. Yeah, man. Doing thank you. It was a pleasure
1: chatting with you today. And hopefully our listeners didn't go too cross-eyed. I
0: don't know. if I mean, if, if, if they're still following Infants on Thrones uh, after all this time, <laughs> they're then they're going to be yeah. like, oh, yeah, this stuff was awesome. I don't understand any of it, but I like it.
1: Because <laughs> that's, <laughs> that's how I am. Cool. All right. Well, thank you very much. Hey, thank you so much, man. It's been a pleasure.
2: Put down the weapons that you use against yourself. You don't need them anymore. Lay down the weapons that you use against the world. We don't need another war. Put down the
0: weapons that you use against yourself. Hi, this is Hilary, Ryan, Ashley, and I like to play bingo online while listening to Infants on Thrones. You
2: can comment on this episode on the website infantsonthrones.com. And
0: if you really like what
2: you hear, give the quorum a five star rating and write a short review on iTunes.
0: I did. I did. I did. Anyone for the closing prayer?
2: My worst crime is an inside job, dark thoughts taking over like an inside mob. I tune into the scene between the eyes. And take a breath Thank you for listening to Infants on front. front. Infants on front. I sit still and watch the thoughts flow past me Never mind the future, never mind what the past be I like to jump and let the universe catch me Three, four, watch the beauty blow past me I keep my pockets light, destination in sight Keep my actions elevated to compassionate heights I'm walking past the fight, laying down on the night Choosing love when I pick up this month
0: Welcome to Bathing with God. Listener Mailbag. Listener Mailbag. Hey Quad. Hey what? We have just been through a crazy election cycle.
3: Yes, I know. But isn't this the part where you tell me that we have another listener question?
0: Are you really asking me that, Quad? Are there really things that you don't know? There are many things that I don't know. Most
3: things, actually.
0: Really? Well, I'm glad you can admit that, Quad.
3: And I'm glad that you are glad. Do you have another listener question for me, or what?
0: I do. And today's listener question comes from me. Providing both the question and the answer now, are we? Isn't that essentially the game we're always constantly playing at? Anyway. Today's question comes from Glenn. Glenn says, Hey Glenn, I love what you've been doing with this podcast. It is seriously fun to write and record and produce it. I just really enjoy it. Keep it up, buddy. I'm wondering if Quad has any particular insights on Biden or Trump or this whole divided mess that our country seems to be in. Would you mind asking him for me? Sometimes he can get a little confusing. Thanks. Keep up the good work, Glenn. P.S. I really love you, man. Why, thank you, Glenn. It's nice to be self-loved. So, Quad, what do you think? What do I think think about about what? What do you think about Biden or Trump or this whole divided mess that our country seems to be in?
3: Do you really want to know?
0: I really am asking. Fine. I'll tell you. But before I get into it,
3: Let's get a few things perfectly clear and I'd like to start by directly speaking to the listeners of this podcast rather than indirectly speaking to them by pretending that I'm directly speaking only to you. The first point that I want to make is that this whole bathing with God thing is a game. It is playful. It is for entertainment only. Some people are musicians who create music by arranging different sounds together in unique and interesting ways that are personal expressions of how they experience the world. Other people are artists who do the same thing with colors and textures and patterns. Some do it with novels, movies, TV shows. Others do it with food. We are doing it with ideas, putting them together in a playful way, building sandcastles, so to speak. Not as a place to live in, not as a place to shelter us from the world around us, but to enjoy for the pure pleasure of building sandcastles, if building sandcastles is your kind of thing. You listeners are here because exploring these kinds of questions in these kinds of ways is how you like to spend your time. Please don't get too attached to any of this and please do not mistake this to be something that it is not. This is for entertainment as a form of personal, artistic expression only, nothing more.
0: Okay, but why are you saying this? Because yesterday you saw something about
3: a dogmatic cult leader who was preaching similar ideas to the ideas that you play with in this podcast, and that made you nervous. You want to be sure that people know that you are anti-dogma, anti-preaching, and anti-cult.
0: Yeah, well I would hope that's obvious. Maybe it is. Maybe it
3: isn't. You can never be sure how people are going to interpret the personal artistic expression that you produce. Because, and this is the second point that I want to make, no matter how strange this may sound, each individual person is always constantly, only, interacting with their own imaginations. You may think that you have made your point crystal clear, but each person hearing it is only going to take from it what they take from it. Which is to say, that what they think you are saying is based on what they already think and feel. Which is to say, that what they already think and feel is determining what they think and feel about what you are saying. Which is to say, that every person on this planet is constantly responding to what they think and feel about the world around them. The impressions made in their minds. In other words, in other words, and let me say this directly to you Glenn. You are always only interacting with your own evolving self.
0: Slow down, Quad. You're making me dizzy with all of that. Plus, it sounds a little bit like you're preaching right now. I am only expressing
3: an opinion. As your imagination, nothing more, nothing
0: less. Okay, fine. Anything else, or are you ready to address my actual question about politics? There is always
3: something else, but fine. You want to know what I think about politics? I think that politics, like music, art, cuisine, or this very podcast, is another way that people express themselves onto the canvas of reality. Their values, hopes, fears, morals. And I think that everyone involved in politics is really only responding to what they think and feel about what is going on in relation to these expressed values, hopes fears, and morals.
0: Okay, so should I be happy that Trump lost and that Biden won? If you are,
3: it only means that you feel outside validation of your inner values, hopes, fears, and morals.
0: And if I'm not? Isn't that obvious? Maybe it is and maybe it isn't. We all only see whatever it is that we see, right?
3: Yes, but here is my hesitation. The reason that the country is so divided is because so many people are divided already in their own hearts and minds. It doesn't matter where you fall politically. If you think of yourself as righteous or morally superior and others as less righteous or morally inferior,
0: there is going to be a divide. But some people really are wicked and morally inferior. Of course,
3: but not as many as you think. And if you train yourself to look at the world in ways that place yourself above others around you, your confirmation bias will manufacture and exaggerate differences in others to the point of moral inferiority, and you will deceive yourself, Glenn, to the point where you can't even see that you are the one who is creating this divide. So let me tell you what I think about this election. I think that Biden supporters who gloat and ridicule Trump supporters are only widening that divide, not just in the country as a whole, but, more importantly,
0: within their own
3: nature. And that isn't doing anyone any favors.
0: Okay, so what is your advice, Quad? You know what my advice is, Glenn.
3: I will tell you, for the sake of these listeners, but I am not preaching this to any of them as advice that anyone else needs to follow. You, Glenn, have turned to me, your imagination, your inner self as it may be to provide you direction on how to live your life so this is my advice to you remember that every person in this world was born innocent a human being wanting and needing to be loved for its very survival simply due to the nature of reality your biologically evolved sponge-like brain that absorbs more information than you consciously know and creates behavioral shortcuts like computer programs running in your subconscious mind? You were misled by false ideas and traditions, misled by fictions, by stories, beliefs, societal norms. And you identified with those fictions and you clung to them for your very survival, Glenn. You acquired them as a means of survival. You were given them as an expression of love. Now some fictions clash more violently against other fictions. You see this in the divide in the country right now, which, is actually nothing new by the way. It is only our mass media that is raising the collective conscious awareness of these conflicting differences, and, believe it or not, this is taking you all to a beautiful place of harmony. That you will all experience together sooner rather than later but harmony will come glenn as a result of your own ability to understand your own fictions the way that you were lovingly misled in your life your own confirmation biases inner harmony will come to you glenn as you exercise your willpower to relax and release the feelings you feel when your personal identity feels like it is being threatened by the conflicting ideas of others.
0: So you're saying that I can create a refuge of inner peace against the swirling storm? We are both saying that.
3: And yes, you have experienced lately telling yourself that all you have to give yourself and others is love. You know what that feels like deep in your heart to open up and create a feeling of love for the innocent baby that you were before you were misled, to acknowledge the innocent nature of people around you for the innocent babies that they were before they were misled. You know how that light shines through all the fictions that bend and distort that innocence in yourself and others, and you are learning how to appreciate each of those illuminated fictions as its own particular artful expression. Some you may have a specific taste for, and others you may not. Some that may be truly wicked and destructive, and others that may not. But you are looking at the world as a reflection of your own deepest self, and you are seeing yourself in others, and seeing others in yourself. You are recognizing the interconnectedness of all things, and you are appreciating the life you are living, and focusing on expressing your awe of and appreciation. For the many little miracles of life that drive you to create this podcast and share your ever-evolving worldview with all who enjoy experiencing your artful expression. Politics only provides one more Rorschach inkblot-like contrast against which you can better come to understand yourself, to better come to appreciate and love yourself, and to better appreciate and love others. I like that, Quad. I know you do, Glenn. But seriously,
0: aren't you kinda glad that Trump lost, even just a little?
3: It honestly doesn't make much difference to me. He isn't going away, you know. Trump was a big name before he was president, he will be a big name after. He will continue to tweet to his supporters, and they will continue to love him for it. Even Trump is innocent at his misguided core, as is Biden, as are you as is everyone. Beware of self-righteousness creeping up in yourself, Glenn. Resist the urge to condemn. Focus on that love that you want to create for yourself and for others. Don't get distracted. And forgive yourself very quickly every time you get distracted.
0: (laughs) Thanks, Quad.
3: You are welcome.
0: Quad bless America.
3: One nation under
0: Quad. Indivisible.
3: As long as you hold liberty and justice in your own heart
0: for all. Thank you for listening to Bathing with God. If you like what you just heard and would like to purchase a print or Kindle version of the complete book, search for it on Amazon.com or go to the website bathingwithgod.com. And if you really, really like what you just heard, share it with someone you love. And give me a five-star rating on iTunes or whatever podcasting platform you use. You can also like our Facebook page and subscribe to the Bathing with God YouTube channel. And if you'd like to reach out to me personally, you can email me, Glenn Osland at, at gmail.com. I'd love to hear from you. And probably so would Quad. Oh yeah, bring it. Thanks again for listening to Bathing, Bathing with, with God. God.